Hello, humans. I am very pleased to let you know that I recently went on an adventure to the highest mountain peak of the world, where I met the wisest man in the world. And I am now offering you a course of complete and total transformation. You can transform your body, transform your mind, transform your wife and kids and dogs into the perfect beings that you always knew deep down you were. None of that's true, of course, but the idea of transformation is so sexy. It is so incredible. And I love the symbolism of transformation. But let's just talk for a second about how seductive the idea. I mean, the magnetism and draw of that concept of transforming, transcending this idea that you can change, whether it be through alchemy, turning lead into gold, or through ritual, turning regular person into, you know, hero, or through intervention of the gods. I mean, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. And it's an attractive force. And it's something that you actually need to look out for as you go out into the world. People selling this idea of transformation and being more than you actually are and somehow becoming that thing you always knew you were. And I hope you know by now, I'm a massive fan in the journey of transformation and of improvement being a part of your odyssey of life. I really love it. It guides me, gives me purpose, gives me things to do. So this is not a call to apathy. It is just to recognize the seductive power of transformation. What I've come to realize and appreciate recently, what's most pulling, what's most desirable, is not always the best strategy. So I'm gonna use transformation as an example. I think more often than not, the idea of transformation, whether it be through personal transformation, political revolution, whatever, just radical, transforming radical alchemy of changing one thing into a completely new thing more often than not is a form of escapism a form of fantasy chasing utopia it can be a safe and fun imaginative exploration but as i studied the people who i admire most i've noticed that they're not revolutionaries and they're not reborn in some transformative moment into the person that I've come to admire. But they're incrementalists. They're gradualists. They move methodically and slowly, changing things in reality one little bit at a time until we notice how great that they've become. But what we've missed by not following their own personal journey is how that came about. How that after-school program that now helps hundreds of kids started in the smallest way. How the new center median that totally made your drive back into your town way more enjoyable and beautiful since it got redesigned started with an idea and meetings and arguments and back and forth and city planning. And I think I've become an incrementalist. I think that's what I believe in small changes as consistently as possible over long periods of time grounded in reality and able to adjust to the unintended consequences of every single action, whether noble or treacherous that you take. I think this is the way. And so in terms of transformation, I think a better word to let guide you, if you're like me and if you like to hang on to words as ideals and guidestones and helping you through the next chapter of time, a good word for me, let's just say, is a reformer. Now, the difference between transform and reform, it might seem the same, but to me, the big difference is that to be reformed includes the parts you already have. It's the process of laying things out on the table, taking stock of what you have, and figuring out what you can make with what you have, and maybe what is attainable quickly. Today's guest comes to us with a new name, relatively recently, within the last few weeks, Indigo which they gave themselves after reflection and contemplation. And it seems to be a physical manifestation of a new chapter they are beginning. 
in a name that they want to be addressed as in this new chapter. There's someone I've known for a while. I first met Indigo as Laura. This human has been a trusted friend, a respected guide, and someone that I've always admired for their discipline, for their ability to move forward, to grow, to continue growing with a passion. I just want to add a little footnote to anybody that might hear about Indigo's journey and be thrown off by it. This program has and always will try to be as apolitical as possible and a watering hole where people from all different ideologies and schools of thoughts can gather. Today's guest, Indigo, and me are firm believers in the take what you like and leave the rest. There is nothing in this conversation that we are trying to force down your throat or believe that you need to believe, but I don't want you to miss out on this human who I love dearly and respect dearly and have wanted on this program for a very long time just because you think the conversation is going to go a certain way. It's not. This conversation is about the human experience, about the process of being born into a world you didn't ask to be born into and navigating that world, figuring out strategies for how to get through the tough times, how to enjoy the good times, how to build relationships that whether lasting or not, fill your soul. And this is about the same thing that we're all going through. And I hope that you stick around no matter what your beliefs and trust that I claim no spiritual, moral, or intellectual superiority to you. I have no interest in changing your beliefs. I only try to present suggestions and try to get suggestions from the guests of things that I might like to try myself. So without further ado, here is an incredible conversation with a human who has a serious gift of learning as you go, of trying not to make the same mistakes over and over again, and growing in a way that makes this conscious life of being a human a little bit richer every day. Here's my conversation with Indigo. Indy. Hi. Hello. Hi. I'm going to preface this by saying that you are one of my dear friends, like soul friends mm. that I've known for years we just kind of compared notes. It sounds like it's been years since I've seen you. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like if there is a, you know, those relationships where you, you just kind of can pick up where you left off. Mm. We definitely had a friendship like that. Yeah. So it's cool to get to have you on, on this program and also get to capture that kind of moment of reconnecting yeah. live. You just changed your name. I did. I'm going to adjust to that. Okay. I uh, keep wanting to, to call you your old name, mm -hmm. but one of the things, especially when you haven't seen someone, like so much change can happen mm -hmm. that I'm trying to stay very open to like, I know your spirit. I don't know your latest person persona, mm -hmm. you know, of like how you're walking through the world these days. Yeah. So I'm going to start the program the same way I always do. Also, you're one of the youngest people ever on the program. <laughs> yes. Uh, I am an ageist. <laughs> I like the old and wise. <laughs> yeah. um, we met each other through recovery. Mm -hmm. I think you have slightly less time than me, but I, you were so disciplined and worked so hard in development that I always looked at you as like an elder in mm. some ways. Mm. And that's the, that's the funny thing about time. You can do 10 years slowly or you can do a, a more intense track and you were a very intense person and <laughs> just somebody who I, I really admired the integrity mm. of your work and mm. how seriously you took your own development and so yeah thanks, thanks yeah. for thanks for agreeing to be on this yeah ever since you started doing this I've always been so intrigued and inspired and similarly like your creativity and your mind and the way that you express yourself have always been ways that I looked at you in admiration so I'm stoked to be here. So, Indy, I start the show the same way. Okay. Who are you? I love that question. Yeah, who am I? I'm a I'm a queer, sober person who is always seeking playfulness and joy and growth and evolution of my own spirit. And at the core of my being, the type of person who just wants to, like, do good in the world. That's what comes to mind for me. And if we could just jump right in. I got reminded 
of how much I wanted to reconnect with you when you announced on Facebook, like, hey, I've, I've actually come back from some soul work. I forget how you worded it. Mm -hmm. And I want to go by a different name. Yeah. Indigo. Yeah. yeah. Or Indy. I love Indy, if yeah. that's okay to call <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, man, tell me about that. That's mm -hmm. something that I'm interested in. Yeah. I think names are an interesting concept because it's how the rest of the outside world interacts with you. Mm. It's like the first level of interaction is mm -hmm. like, what are you like? What this is can, <laughs> right? This is Indy. Mm. This is Sam. You also have, you don't pick your name. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. So I'm intrigued. I have several friends who have done kind of like a name change. Hey, can you refer to me as this? Yeah. I find the process really interesting. I hope that it becomes more mainstream. I have an alter ego. I have a different name that I call myself. I don't share it publicly or, or ask other people to call it to me. It's just I like to mm. interact with myself on that level. Mm. But can you just yeah. jump in and tell us yeah. how did Indigo come to be? Yeah. So I had been sort of contemplating changing my name for a while. My legal, my original legal name was Larissa. And my entire life, it's never felt like me. And, you know, I would hear stories from my parents about how the name came to be or how they started to call me Lara. And I was like, that's cool for you. <laughs> um, but it doesn't ever, it never felt like me. And um, yeah, I think what ended up happening is I, about two years ago, I started feeling into my gender identity. About five years ago, I started doing some inner masculine inner feminine work and understanding those parts of myself and how they interact, how they integrate, how they manifest, how they come through my human form into the world. And I started to really understand that I was all of that. I was the entire spectrum of masculine and feminine expression. And as I stepped into my gender identity as non-binary or gender fluid, I realized too that part of that process for me was going to include so much more beyond taking on that identity and like really stepping into that and changing my pronouns and all of this, all of the things that, that kind of come with that for some folks. And I took this past seven months has really been, I think, pivotal in my own evolution as a human being, because I've really taken a step back from a lot of things in my life and looked closely at myself and how I show up and what feels good and expressive in my human form. I also took a sabbatical from my day job, I took two months off. And during that time, I decided to play with names. You know, I decided to just play. Um, and I would, you know, I would do the, I don't know if this is typical, but I, I do, I would do Google searches like gender neutral names that start with L or gender neutral names that start with, you know, whatever alphabetical letter I wanted to choose that day. And nothing was really sticking. And then I was in a cafe during my time off and I was sort of just people watching because that's kind of what I love to do. And I closed my eyes for a minute to just breathe in the smells and hear the sounds. And this name flashed in front of my eyes indigo. And I was like, whoa, it's a cool name. <laughs> I was Honestly, I was taken aback. I wasn't, first of all, I wasn't expecting that, but it just flashed in front of my eyes and I, I sort of chewed on it for a little bit. And then I went on a vision quest, a queer vision quest. And during that time I had, what, what could you describe that process a tiny bit? I'm curious. Going on the vision quest. Yeah. The queer vision quest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So there's a Institute called Animus Institute. And Bill Plotkin, who's one of the founders of that institute, wrote a book called Soulcraft. And I read Soulcraft several years ago as part of my Purpose Guides training. And I've always wanted to go on a vision quest. Ever since reading that book, I've always wanted to go on a vision quest. I never had the time. I never made the time to, to embark on that journey. And when I knew I was going on sabbatical, I did a, I went on their website and tried to see if they had any programs during my time off. And they were doing the first ever queer vision quest. It's basically, it's 12 days in the wilderness and it's mostly alone, four days solo fasting. And you have five days pre with a group and a few days post with the group, uh, three guides, uh, not always three guides, but there are guides there who are steeped in, in the work of soul encounter as they call it, basically going deeply inside and seeing what's there and working with those parts. So there's a lot of different, types of work um, that take place in that container. And I'd really wanted to try this queer vision quest. They had no spots available when I went to sign up. 
I was like, well, damn, <laughs> guess I'm not going on the first ever queer vision quest. And so, um, basically what happened is I, I said, okay, higher power. Um, I really want to do this. I feel like I'm supposed to do this. So I'm going to make space. I moved my sabbatical dates to cover the dates that they were supposed to be doing the quest. And I said, if it's supposed to happen, make it happen. I was in Amsterdam for work and got an email saying, Hey, spot opened up. Do you want it? Okay. Yeah. So I you said, were in Amsterdam. Yeah. I was in Amsterdam for my day job. Wow. Yeah. So I went on this quest and, um, and during the quest, I had the group use exclusively Indigo or Indie. Oh, cool. To test it out. Yeah. And it was the That's most great. delicious experience. It just felt so like in my bones, in my body, it just felt so affirming. And I knew, I knew then, yep, I'm going to come back into my life and back into the world from the, you know, from the deep wilderness. And that wasn't last week, was it? Um, I got back a week ago. Wait, so this vision quest happened a week ago? So the vision quest ended July 4th. So a couple weeks ago. But I returned. I spent a few days traveling after uh, in my Sprinter van. You have a Sprinter van now? (laughs) Yeah, I do. God, I got to go online more. Uh, It's not that exciting, but yeah, you should. That sounds very exciting. It is. Yeah. I got a Sprinter van. It's built out. Decided to do traveling before and after. I spent 20 days in the van. Yeah. And then, wow. I didn't realize how recent this all was. Mm -hmm. I knew the name changed, but. Yeah. And so what, like, can you describe kind of what's it like navigating through the world and it's obviously some adjustment period for all of us. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting because I feel like I've stepped into Indigo. I've stepped into Indie and I can feel, it feels like I'm stepping into the person I was always supposed to step into in a way. And being able to share that and share my heart with people has been an interesting process for the most part, you know, folks responses have been, wow, thanks for sharing that name suits you so well. And then there's been a few instances where folks are like, oh, I like Larissa. (laughs) I'm like, that's great for you. And I think, but for the most part, it feels mostly like I get to step into this person that I was always supposed to step into. And it feels like, you know, yeah, we change and evolve as humans, or at least I believe we change and evolve as humans, but there's always this like core part of us that's, if we allow it to, grows louder and louder because it's always that thing that's always been deeply ingrained in who we are. And I feel like indigo was always something that was always deeply embedded into the core of who I was from birth. So it's, it feels like just so natural and so yummy (laughs) for lack of a better word to be stepping into this name and have it feel so comfortable and cozy in my body. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I am always fascinated with the process of, transformation mm. or reformation yeah I actually <laughs> reformation love that i love so yeah. transformation is a very sexy word yeah right totally it's basically like i can leave all the shit i don't like uh-huh. behind yeah no nope. and now i can <laughs> and now i can emerge as the new thing mm. um we like doing that don't we and so for me yeah. what feels more true is like mm. reformation yeah then, you know yeah. What, what building blocks do I have? Yeah. What, you know, to use our language, what character defects, what stuff is here mm. that can't just be sloughed off? Yeah. How can I work with this though and make the best version I can Yeah. with what I got? Yeah. Which is different for everybody. Totally. I love when people take on the challenge of transformation or, or reformation <laughs> and the renaming is in, in some sorts, it's a death and rebirth ceremony. Totally. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's been happening for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And to say, I think I can jumpstart this process by just referring to myself differently. Totally. Right? Like it is a, a tool of some kind. Yeah. I actually did a death and rebirth ceremony around the name. I'm not surprised. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did a I did a ceremony where I, I laid in a grave and Did you write a eulogy? I did not write oh. a eulogy. I spoke one. Yeah. Um it didn't feel For me, it didn't feel, I really wanted to be present with what was happening and coming through for me spiritually and physically in my body. And so I spoke a eulogy to your point about reformation and taking an honest stock of all of who I am, including the dark parts, including the playfulness, the joy, all of the good parts, right? Quote unquote, good parts. I got to be with all of that and invite all of that to like witness this death and rebirth process. And yeah, I actually 
laid in a grave and I did a, I did a ceremony and it felt really, it felt symbolic, but more so than that, the act of physically doing that, I think helped as a catalyst for the process for me to come back and say, yes, this is me. And I feel it in my body. It feels real. I love the process of, of ritual and making Same. things sacred. Yeah. I've actually been going to churches. Nice. I, they don't, yeah. they don't let me take communion. Of course. Uh, yeah. Cause JC's not the Lord and savior yet, at least for you, you know, for me. Yeah. Um, but I, it's just, it's interesting to go see mm. like, Oh, what, how do people commune with the sacred to mm. them? And what does this process look like to them? Yeah. And to take the ordinary and to make it something more is very fascinating to totally. me. Totally. I've been talking to people who have been waiting until marriage to have sex. Mm. When what's that about? You know, tell mm. me about that. And yeah. it's like, they're trying to make this very normal part of the human function higher than mm. that normal part. And so, yeah, I get that. Every, everybody I think has a, a desire for, for things to be meaningful and to matter totally. and to creatively take it into your own control and to figure out like, how do I make this next chapter, the indie chapter important? Mm -hmm. And to, to create ritual around it is just beautiful. Mm. I have several healing rituals that I've done that I don't even share about yet. Yeah. Because uh, I'm still relishing yeah. the, the moment. And it felt, you know, it feels like I'm going to keep it until it's public. Sure. You know, on the, when it feels public on the mm. inside, then I can share it and I can't wait to share it. But for now, it's just like such this beautiful moment. I just, totally. you know, for somebody that's their whole life has been broadcast yeah. and I've, <laughs> I've journaled or blogged or yeah. podcast everything. Mm. It just felt like, Ooh, this is really cool. I think I'm just going to keep this for a while. Yeah. I think there's something really sacred about holding those truths close to you. And, you know, I don't share all of the ritual. I won't share all of the ritual that I did out on the land during my quest. Um, at least not yet. And I think there's something really sacred about holding that close until it feels like it could potentially be useful for yeah. someone else in their process or, or whatever that ends up looking like. Yeah. Well, we've had a long history. Mm -hmm. uh, we hung out a lot for a period of time. <laughs> yeah. You were always somebody that I would call when things went wrong. I deeply valued your advice. There was mm. like a confusing period where I was like in love with you. Uh, you were a lesbian at the time. So that was like a problem. I feel uh, like we figured it out. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We figured it out. We but went through it. If we could back up a bit mm. and just capture what your journey has been like. It's funny, the show, on some ways I want to be talking about things that are very tangible and helpful immediately. Mm. But the getting to know people even people who you think you know really well mm. on a deep level, there's lessons that come through that are not as direct. Yeah. For me, I think it really helps to learn fully who you are as a teacher and a friend and somebody who I have as counsel in my advice. <laughs> it's a real joy to just get to know people and, and how they were formed, what their, to use a biblical term, what the genesis yeah. is and yeah. how they became the person who they are. Yeah. So could you tell us kind of a bit of how indie came to be from from this from the start yeah 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 well first I just want to say that it's always really lovely to reconnect especially with people like you who I always you know there are very few people in my sphere my little universe that I feel like I can step away from for several years and then reconnect and it feels like no time has passed so it feels really nice to, likewise yeah it feels really nice to like be in that space with you and I always have valued and really cherished our friendship so yeah I just want to say that first ditto <laughs> mm, you want me to talk a little bit about pre-getting sober or sure okay yeah I'd love to Okay. And that's, that's part of how you got here. Totally. Right? Yeah. It's, it's a thousand percent. My fault. <laughs> my falling on my face is like central yeah. to the. Oh my God. Yeah. Totally. Falling on my face over and over again, basically. But I was like always a really deeply feeling person. Like I've, I've always been deeply connected to my feelings and for a long time, not really having tools for how to navigate that. You know, I come from a family where, you know, alcoholism was very present. You know, I experienced a lot of trauma and abuse as a child. A lot of that trauma is like of a sexual nature. A lot of the other trauma is just like interfamily turmoil, you know? Yeah. And so I came from a really scary place of having 
a lot of feelings, being really sensitive, being really empathetic, even from a young age and experiencing the bodily, mentally, spiritually and emotionally sensations of like rage and anger from a really young age and, and terror and absolute horror. Real yeah. things to be scared of. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. As a kid, I was really afraid of the dark because my trauma happened at night. For years, I just remember this recently, for years I prayed, like we were really religious, so I prayed to God, what my understanding of God was at the time. And for years I prayed for God to take me in my sleep. I wanted, I begged for death for years as a kid, as a kid, you know? Um, yeah, and then, you know, I, I spent after that terror and that just like my body, thank God for the way that my body reacted because my body just went into full protection mode okay, we're going to block out these memories. And it was almost like you see one part of a movie and then all of a sudden the screen goes black and then you watch a new movie. It was almost like the tape had shut itself down and wanted to start a, a new film. And that's how, it, that's how it felt for me. I've come to learn as an adult that that's like a pretty common trauma response. And so, yeah, I just, I tried to move forward and block out all of the bad. <laughs> How'd you recover the memory Ther therapy or? Yeah, mostly therapy. I think I realized when I was, when I was around 20, I realized that there was a lot there that felt like I, it was a physical feeling. I've this things felt lodged in my body that I didn't understand. And I was also, you know, at that point, like drinking a lot and going to a therapist to understand the dynamics of my relationships, the dynamics of why I couldn't keep my shit together, basically. You know, I just kept hitting wall after wall. And um, it's so wild to even think of you not keeping your shit together. <laughs> yeah, no, my shit was very much not together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I like, for the most part, it was, it was emotional. From the exterior on paper, things looked good, right? Like I had a good job. I had, you know, a nice car. I was dating and it, they... See, things were seemingly going well, but on the inside, I was like absolutely falling apart and behind closed doors, you know, like having a lot of breakdowns and yeah, stuff like that. I think I got exhausted, like existentially tired and emotionally exhausted and burnt out. And I wanted to understand what was what was lodged inside of me that like needed to be surfaced. And so I went and did a lot of talk therapy, which helped. And then I transitioned into like a lot of other modalities of like healing. Um, wow. And like surfacing some of the trauma. And it's been like a total process of just like peeling back layers of the onion. You know, like, okay, what's there? Okay, am I done yet? <laughs> nope. What's there? Okay, am I done yet? Wow. Yeah, I don't know if you saw, like, <laughs> I'm getting emotional. Mm. I'm very, this is so inappropriate. Mm. I'm very selfishly feeling jealous. Mm. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <I'm> and <sorry. laughs> why? Because I have a whole records just deleted. Mm. Right. File not found. Uh. No access to the memories mm. of certain periods. Yeah. So I have like giant chunks of my life just relayed to me mm. secondhand. And so, yeah, that's why I kind of jumped on that. Like, wait, how'd you go back and get the memory? It's just not an experience I've gotten yet. Yeah. I mean, it's t terrible memories to retrieve. For but sure. I, yeah. I guess it was just part of me that got distracted and the jealousy of it. <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, I think that mm, we get access to the files when our body is ready. Yeah. So you start working through traditional therapy and yeah. alternative modalities. Yeah. Uh, when, do, when does the self-destruction catch up to you or when, when, when do you decide to, to change in that regard to stop self-destructing yeah, yeah. stop drinking I've never I've only known you sober yeah yeah and, yeah so I think there were two pivotal events in my life that happened prior to me getting sober one was I had a best friend who I worked with and we hung out a lot I saw him as a brother and I didn't have very many positive male-bodied figures in my life um like I didn't have a lot of good examples of what healthy masculinity looked like growing up and barring a few very few examples but 
they were people I didn't get to spend that much time with. And so he was a best, he was a best friend. He was like a brother to me. He felt safe. And the year before I stopped drinking, he and I went out for my birthday and my partner at the time and I drove home drunk and he called me. He couldn't find his car. He was very confused. Um, he didn't know where he was. We offered to go back to get him and he said, no, no, it's okay. I found my car. And I never heard from him again. He didn't wake up the next day. You know, I found myself really questioning like why him? And it ended up that he passed from hypertensive heart disease. I guess the drinking and and I think he was like smoking other things that night it was too much on the body. And yeah, I just felt a such a immense amount of like guilt and shame um, around the fact that like he didn't wake up and I did. And I didn't sleep for weeks and I was afraid that I wouldn't wake up. I just felt like it was my fault. And as a good alcoholic will do, you know, we'll vow to like make a change. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. I was like, I'm going to change, you know, I'm going to like not be so crazy. Um, and that lasted for basically no time at all. Um, and then a year passed and my grandmother, who is someone I spent summers with as a child who like was my savior through the period of time that I was being like sexually molested, you know, she was someone I went to to have a safe haven during the summer. She didn't know this, but she was someone who was part of, she was a really huge part of my formative years and someone that I saw as safe. And I tell people today, she's the reason why I know joy and love today. She like instilled that in me as a child. And the year after Josh died, she accidentally fell and hit her head and had an aneurysm and was in a coma. When I went to the hospital to be with her, I picked up my dad on the way and, you know, he was still very much in his disease and I got to see right directly in my face what it was going to look like for me in 50 years if I didn't get my shit together. And it was really scary. You know, he like he asked me to take him to his drug dealer's house. You know, he didn't have a license at the time after I think probably four DUIs super erratic behavior. And this is in the midst of me beginning to mourn the death of the person lying in the bed in front of me. Um, this person who I'd come to cherish and really adore. And I felt like my heart was being ripped out of my chest. And I was like being faced with the fact of this is what your life is going to look like if you don't actually make a change, you know? Yeah. Um, How would you describe what, what it felt like it was going to look like? Lonely and dark, chaotic the chaos, the like, mm, the, the, it's like this biting static chaos, you know, this like uncontrollable life. It just felt like an uncontrollable chaotic mess. And I didn't want any part of it. You know, life is chaotic enough. Yeah. And when I saw that, I, you know, my dad, he, he was like taking me to my drug dealer's house. And I was like, absolutely not. We literally just left the hospital. And I know that you want to soothe in one way, but I'm not I'm not available for that. At the time, he lashed out at me because of my sexuality and he said some mean things to me in the car and we were in the middle of LA and I said, I pulled over and said, you can get out now. Good for you. <laughs> I don't know how he got home, but. <laughs> it's not your problem. No, no, yeah. no. He got home. So uh, yeah, so that was the, I think that was the turning point for me. I, I um, made the decision to stop drinking at that point and um I didn't stop doing all things. Like I continued to smoke weed for about a year and a half, nice. um, which was not great <laughs> just because I was like still like trying to numb out. But, you know, I'd stopped drinking and I, I think initially I thought, oh, I'll just stop for a year and get my life together and then I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, me too. Yeah. Yeah. I was like convinced this was just, just going to get my shit together. Yeah. And then, uh. I sobered up. And, <laughs> I sobered up and realized like the alcohol was like one of the very small problems right, 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 of the right. picture. You're like, oh, wait a minute. It, There's so much more under the it surface. It was just the most outward symptom yeah. of the problem. Yeah. That's the track. You, you <sighs> stop drinking and then quit weed a, a year and a half later. And well, you know, not totally. I I quit drinking and I started I started going. I was in Al-Anon at the time, really wanting to focus on all the qualifiers in my life, not really knowing that I was also one of those qualifiers. And yeah, I was like in Al-Anon working steps and I decided to go to a recovery group to like under better understand the alcoholics in my life. And um, I thought that initially I thought that I was just like taking a break from drinking. And then I went to a meeting and I sat at this meeting and 
I had the most powerful experience because I was like relating to these complete strangers more so than I related to like anyone else I had ever known in my life. And I was like, what is happening? And so I realized that I needed to be there. And I'm the type of person, I used to be the type of person, I should say, that like has to get into like so much pain that there's no other solution but surrender. And, you know, that's changed for me over the years. But at the time I was like, oh, I need to be here. And yet I'm still not willing to like give up the death grip on these like parts of me that want to continue numbing out. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Dig deeper. I want to keep that's a good vein. I wanted to like strangle. (laughs) This is a weird way to describe it, but the way the vision that comes up for me is like, I really wanted to like wrestle and strangle. Mm, There were parts of me that wanted that were screaming for help. I really wanted to like shut those parts and wrestle with them and like put them in a box somewhere deep down in the like attic of my body or soul. Right. And I was not willing to open myself up to that type of vulnerability. It was like too, too much of a risk for me at the time. Yeah. And so that's why, honestly, that's why I kept smoking weed. I, um, I was like not ready my whole life, honestly, in recovery, mostly has been baby steps, like one baby step at a time. Me too. Yeah. I'm actually really grateful for that because I'm conditioned to want things instantly. Like I want food. I press a button on my phone and food gets delivered 30 minutes later. Right. Like we're so used to things happening instantaneously. And I'm actually really grateful for the lesson of like such slow progression and baby steps throughout my like time in recovery, because it's taught me that growth and reformation as a human, like happens incrementally in small steps over time. And so like, I learned that lesson through trying to like wrangle my dark parts and like keep them closed in a box somewhere for so long. Yeah. When when did you finally like quit weed? Like that, that feels like a big moment of kind of like a commitment to like, okay, because here's the way I conceptualize it. Yeah. For me as like a hardcore drug addict, hard spirits drinking (laughs) person, there's like a, there's a big difference between obliteration and numbing out. Mm, Right. And they're all part of the same vein that we're talking about. Yeah. When I see people who aren't, self-destruction experts like I am, (laughs) you know, me, when I would go drinking or using often ended up with people carrying me and stuff, Mm. you know, it was like not physically, physically. Yeah. I crawled my way Mm. home from Polk street Mm. (laughs) to the tenderloin one time, like literally crawled. (laughs) And it was the type of, you know, that's the type of neighborhood where nobody stopped me. Well, (laughs) of course, because And um, made it home, didn't Mm. black out. I wasn't actually much of a blackout Mm. drinker. But um, and then the person who hates their job, goes to their job, Mm. comes home, smokes weed, wakes up, does it all again. And now you're in this really bad stagnant cycle, which is incredibly hard to get out of. Oh, yeah. Because you're whether you're drinking beer or smoking weed, the problem, I'm not anti weed or anti beer. Yeah. What I am anti is is avoiding the signals Mm. of your animal body, your intuition. And so if you never get a chance to realize like, wow, I don't like this relationship or wow, I don't like this job or you know what, my, the whole way I'm going through the world is like not a great match for me. I should probably reorganize. Yeah. Uh, If you, if you keep rolling over those feelings with chemicals, (laughs) That allow you to either become complacent. That's the danger of weed to me is it makes what's not okay, okay to you. Yeah. Right. And so you can be in a very not okay situation. You might have these like burning dreams and aspirations. And the fact that you're ignoring these aspirations and not going for it are going to end up making you sick one day. Yeah. It's going to end in you getting really not well. Yeah. But you're just casually stamping out that fire every single night. Yeah. Well, it's like our protector. It's like, well, the way that I think about it is those are my protector parts that are afraid of taking risk because they think that with risk comes danger. So they shut that shit down. Yeah. You know, that's like, I want to use the word ego, but it's not totally the ego. It's our protector parts. You know, it's the little versions, what I believe to be the little mini versions of us from our past that um, are like, no, no, that's a risk and risk equals danger and danger equals death. It's real quick. 
Yeah. Risk equals danger equals death. And, and all of a sudden you're all of these core desires and aspirations for your life are like shut down because of these little parts that have, for me at least, been stowed away and not looked at or acknowledged or celebrated or thanked my whole life, you know? So that's the way I think about it is like for me in those moments, I, or as I was getting sober or stopping numbing out, I was just so fucking tired of hating myself. I was so, I knew there was love and I knew there was potential and I knew there was possibility. I knew there was all this like bright light and, you know, that was being reflected to me by, you know, people that I would meet. Oh, you're so inspiring or whatever, but I didn't believe any of that stuff, you know? And I, couldn't look at myself in the mirror. And I think I got to the point where I was like, I'm just fucking done. And I just got so tired that I was just fucking done. Wow. And you just quit? Well, ish. I, ish is, all right. <laughs> ish, we'll we'll yeah. take ish. Yeah. I mean, sort of. I, I had this moment. I was, it's interesting. I was at an Avicii concert. In San Francisco? Uh, no, at the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, okay. I was in, I wish. Yeah, no, I was in LA and I was like, we, we might've ended up I at know. the same concert. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Be <laughs> I was at an Avicii concert, you know, having, I was high. It was a beautiful, beautiful concert. But I, I think what I noticed is there were like people, I was with my best friend and there were people around us that were super high, like super duper high and not on weed. It was like, they were doing other drugs. And I think what I realized in that moment was that like, I want to feel this way without having mm, some sort of altering substance in my body, like, because I know it's possible. There was like a moment of recognition and knowing that it's possible, but I haven't ever given myself that opportunity. And so that night I went to bed, I woke up the next day and I called my sponsor and I got honest because I'd wow. never been honest about it before. I was like, Oh, by the way. Oh, you were, you were in a year <laughs> and a half of lying. Yeah. You know, nice. because that's what we do. Hell Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then I got honest and it was like, you know, I, I felt like I was keeping this like delicious little secret and yeah. it felt good to keep it for a while. And then it didn't feel good to keep it. And then when I set that secret free, I experienced like not just mental, emotional freedom, but I actually felt physically in my chest, like, like almost like the rock had been taken out, you know, like the weight yeah. of this rock was like lifted. I love how you touched on that. It like felt good to keep a secret. Mm. I think that's probably just just as valid of a part of the healing process yeah, is there's some part of you that was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to keep self-medicating mm -hmm. until I know it's safe. Yeah. And it, just to go out on a limb and kind of guess. Yeah. That's yeah. What it feels like. And then there was a time where you're like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't know if I ever felt like it was safe to not keep the secret. I think that I just got tired of the way that it was weighing on me. Yeah. I was like, maybe this, Maybe this isn't safe, but I believe that if I'm so exhausted by this, that by not holding it, I can experience a little bit of freedom, then it's worth the like risk to not feel safe. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever made a decision in like, at least in early recovery and getting sober because I felt like it was safe. I think I just got tired and I was like not willing to be that deep in my own self-hatred anymore. One of the things, so it's funny to hear earlier when you're saying like, oh, I didn't have it together. Mm -hmm. And like to hear you describe somebody that would like do things loosely. Cause mm -hmm. I've only known you as like very straight laced, <laughs> high and tight, you know, al tight. almost militaristic mm. <clears throat> and discipline yeah. and doing what you say you're going to do. And so if we were talking and he said, oh yeah, I'm going to go, journal on that. I'll get back to you with what I think. Mm -hmm. The next time we met, you would have that page <laughs> written out. Yeah. So you were a doer of what you said you were going to do. Yeah. And I was wondering integrity, but more so that, cause I feel like I, I'm good with integrity. I feel mm -hmm. like for the most part, if you put a camera on me 24 seven, there's not going to be too many glaring, <laughs> like, whoa moments. Yeah. So it'd be some, it'd yeah, be yeah. some. but sure. it, I don't think it would be like drastic. There'd be nothing where I'd be like, freaked out yeah, yeah. that people might know. Yeah. Your show would not make it onto MTV. <laughs> <laughs> but I am interested in the discipline aspect and the going from a not disciplined being to a disciplined being Yeah, <clears throat> and what that process looked like for you. Cause it seems like you've done so much consciously, like where you've like set out to make a change and made a change. Yeah. 
I've always been guided by this light of knowing that some part of me within me that can do better or be better. And I've always been to an extent guided by that. And also too, I, in early recovery, I had to really stick with people who, who said yes a lot to like, not just recovery, but like choosing life. I remember one moment in early recovery, I was like working the steps and working with a sponsor and kind of, and like I would get to the fourth step and fire my sponsor every time because I didn't want to look at myself. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what? My part? There's nothing there, you know, just like in so much denial, you know, in so much denial. And I remember I was like in so much emotional and spiritual pain. And, um, I met this woman who just like had this glow, this light. And she was like, are you willing to go to any lengths? And I'd heard that before, but for some reason I heard it differently that time. And I was like, yeah, I am. And she was like, okay, from now on, you're going to just, you know, you're just going to say yes to everything recovery related. And, you know, a time came where she was like, we're taking a conference into Soledad State Prison or we're going to West Palm Beach to take a conference to the area because there's a lot of rehabs in the area. I'd want to say no every time. And I just like made the decision to say yes, even in instances where I was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for that. And somehow by way of saying yes, it like it made it possible for those things to like manifest. And so what happened is I got experience-based faith in a higher power through the process of like doing things and saying yes instead of no. So I like opened. Experience-based faith. Yeah. Where'd you pick that up from? Another person in the rooms. That's fantastic. (laughs) Not original. Um, Empirical faith. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, experience-based faith. That's great. Yeah, because like, you know, initially when I was like trying to come up with the concept of a higher power, I was like, I don't, I don't know. The ocean is more powerful than me. That can be my higher power, right? What I learned through that process of saying yes and like seeing how things unfolded by opening and saying yes, I was like, oh, that works for me. That's like higher power shit for me. I guess the other thing that I want to say is that over time, this like rigid approach to self-evolution and conscious like growth is I think really great and also I've learned that I have to infuse play and joy and childlike fun into that process yes (laughs) for so long I I was I think we both lean towards very serious people yeah uh yeah 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 and it's only in the last I would say only in the last like five years and a lot in the last two that I've that I've just turned up the volume on the play And being silly and illuminating and activating those parts of myself that just want to have fun. That's helped me even more so than just being in the rigidity of being serious. And like growth is serious for sure. Like some of the work is serious and looking at shadow parts of us is is no joke. But how can I also infuse creativity and fun and play and childlike stuff in that? And I think that's been really, really pivotal for me. Do you have something you could point to or share where you kind of intentionally took on a challenge, brought the typical indie yeah. spirit into mm-hmm. it of yeah. like discipline and militarism? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also worked play into it. Yeah. Does anything come to mind? Yeah. So I think because it's been so recent, like the vision quest, I, you know, when I went on this quest, I had this like. Mm, I had these like two intentions. I was going to cultivate unconditional self-love and I was going to look at my fear of the dark right in the face. Those were the two. I had no idea how that would look or what would happen. But what I ended up doing during the quest was like mm, trying to play with the dark, you know, a little bit. And the way that I did that was like I would dance with it or I would play my drum or rattle or like try to make music with it or stuff like that. And I think the other thing that comes to mind for me is I really value movement. So I've been trying to dance a lot more. And so what I would do on the quest was like sing or dance or like play music and not like from a stereo or anything, but like I actually have a drum and a rattle. And so I would like try to make music out of it. And for me, it's always about mm, what, how can I awaken the child within and whatever that looks like for somebody is like what I think they should do. And for me, sometimes it's photography or painting or writing or dancing or singing or just like being silly, laughing. Yeah. One one of the great casualties of this 
period of expertise, right? Like we are in the age of experts mm. oh, where yeah. everybody's an expert on something. Yeah. We're all interconnected. So yeah. if you want to know about ballet, you can go watch a YouTube video of the world's mm. premier ballet dancer, mm. right? And so everybody is connected to the world's great experts. Mm. One of the great casualties is just regularness. Yeah. Right. Being a regular dancer uh, or being yeah. a regular singer. Yeah. And to the point to where I don't feel comfortable singing mm. at all mm -hmm. because, you know, I'm not Mariah Carey. <laughs> I'm not even <laughs> an eighth of I love Mariah how Carey. that <laughs> came out for you. But I mean, that's one of the shows yeah. that I want this studio here. Like, yeah. you know, I built this place to make not just Sam shows. Yeah. I want a show where some singer helps allow people mm. to sing again yeah. and to sing badly. Cause I don't think it's about the mm -mm. outcome. It's about that. This is your voice. Yeah. And the same with dancing. Yeah. I have a great show. I'm going to produce one day called bad, bad dancing. <laughs> nice. You know, when you've been to a party mm. and everybody's kind of in wallflower mode, mm -hmm. no one's really willing to kind of go into the, the dance area yeah. of that party. Totally. And then some human <laughs> in my experience, the greatest example was this slightly chubby, mm. very silly woman. Mm-hmm who is not a great dancer, mm -hmm. but she loved to dance, jumps into the middle of this party and just starts dancing kind of badly, <laughs> really great in some ways, Yeah, but just having so much fun moving her body mm. that it pulled the gravitational force of her fun, pulled yes, everybody into the 100%. dance floor. And all of a sudden everybody had permission to dance because it wasn't a dance contest. Yeah. It wasn't spectacular dancing happening. It was fun wedding dancing. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. L listen, the thing that comes to me right now is that, like, frankly, I'm not an expert in anything. You know, I know yeah, a lot. Either. I know a lot about <laughs> a lot of shit, right? But, like, I'm not, I'm always in a place of, okay, I'm, I, there's always room. But the other thing, the other thing too is that it's not really about anything other than the energy that you're bringing. Like, are you, enjoying what you're doing are you inviting in like people's authentic expression and to me nothing else really matters like I'm a terrible drawer I can't paint for shit I'm like halfway decent at writing I don't even know what that even means but you know I enjoy doing it and I think for me it's about inviting that child in and allowing it to be what it is and by doing that I feel like you give people permission to join you in that Right. So like it didn't matter that she wasn't a great dancer. What she was doing was like putting the energy of like, I'm just being me and letting my inner creative come out through this form of expression. And people can sense that. Yeah. People can sense that. It was a huge gift. Yeah. To that whole room of yeah. people, probably 20 people. Yeah. Right. So her magic. Yeah. Literally changed the whole vibe of, of 20 people. I love people. that. I love that and so much. 20 people started bad dancing. Fuck yeah. So if that is you, if you <laughs> are in the Bay Area and you have uh, that gift, <laughs> I will help produce your show. <laughs> I will give bad you screen dancing. time. Mm, bad dancing. That. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I am, I am actively starting to turn on this whole expertise thing. Mm. Like I think that there's some really cool aspects of it. Yeah. I, I love information on demand. I like the information age. I feel like in some sense as animals, we've gotten a little bit distracted by the shiniest thing in the room. Agreed. I think that there's a lot of unintended consequences, mm -hmm. like being able to web MD all your symptoms or, yeah, <laughs> or just like talk to an expert right away. Like mm -hmm. it's great. I'm glad that people totally. have access to medical care. Mm -hmm. Those who do, but at the same time, like the first starting place should be like checking in with your own body Yeah, and trying to be like, well, how do I feel? Has anything changed? Mm -hmm. And we're losing connection with very important parts of ourselves because they're not as good as the experts. They're not as shiny as the experts. So it might be our, our singing, our drawing, our, yeah. our ability to dance, our physique and our athleticism. Mm -hmm. You know, like my athleticism is not impressive on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't compare yeah. to the world of athletes. Yeah. Uh, but my athleticism is such an important part of my life. Yeah. And learning how to run and jump and pull uh, with this body is is such a joy. Mm. And it can be ruined like that. If I go into that kind of like checking in with what other people are doing or what 
what the experts look like or what a perfectly developed physique is or. Yeah. Yeah. I think comparing yourself to somebody else is like the biggest disservice you can do to your own self growth because you're not, or not even self growth, but just like enjoyment of life because you're not doing it from a place of what feels authentic for you or what feels like progress for you. You're just, I don't know. It's just a form of external invalidation. Yeah. (laughs) I think it is one of the, it's, it's a two-sided coin, right? Because on one hand, you know, you can feel inspired and really feel driven and passionate about what you see out there and other people who are like, you know, living out their life's passion or purpose and feel inspired and drawn to that. But then if you take it too far and you start saying, well, because of that, I'm not doing enough or I'm not enough or I'm not worthy or I'm not good enough. And then like the spiral, right? Yeah, no. So as a non-expert in anything like myself, (laughs) what are the, because I'm the same, I feel, I identify with that so completely. Uh, I don't want to be the, that guy, you know, the um, small business guy or the depressed human guy or the, you know, I (laughs) love my brothers and sisters who are Mm -hmm. struggling with mental illness like it is something that gets me out of bed is to meet Mm. other people that struggle in the way that I struggle and to try to make the most of this life even if your baseline might be a little lower Mm -hmm. than other people but I like to keep it open I like to keep learning I find a lot of energy in learning new things yeah as a teacher and you were always the person people called Mm. That's what I remember most from <laughs> hanging out with you is that the phone was always ringing. Mm. People always wanted to hear your take on stuff. Yeah. What are the things that you want to do here during during your time here on, on Earth? On planet Earth. Yeah. yeah. I want to just touch on something you said about not being an expert. I think like there's a level saying that there's like a level of openness to always be learning, which I think is the key to becoming knowledgeable deeply about things that you really care about. And so... I love that distinction, right? Like, I think it's so important. That's why I say like, yeah, I know a lot. I know a lot about a lot of things, but I'm not going to ever coin myself as an expert because I always want to be in a space of like learning and growth, right? And that will continue to be a theme for me in my life here on planet Earth. Um, The most important thing for me is to, yeah, I want to help people heal and come back to their bodies. I think that, I think that we at least for me, my experience is that like I became detached from my body, not just as a result of trauma and like alcoholism and using drugs and, um, and all of that. But I think being a spirit trapped in a human body, like I just, there was too much for me to handle and I became super detached and didn't know how to be in my body. And as I like continue, you know, walking through the world, I want to help people come back to that and find ways of healing their trauma, their intergenerational trauma, things that I've gotten to experience myself. And I want to write and create and continue to share my heart with people in ways that help them find what their passion, like not just their passion, but their purpose. Like, what are you here to do? And I think that my job here is to help people get closer to that, what that is for them. Um, And I've recently gotten into mentorship under a shaman It's something that I feel really strongly about. And how do I bring that back to my people? Because my culture is not one that like looks at shamanism as a way that's tangible or useful. It's like completely devoid of that. And how do I bring people back to relating to themselves and relating to nature and relating to their bodies? And uh, I think through that we can find collective healing because I think the world is in a very sick place right now. Super sick. <laughs> and I think a lot of us disagree on how it's sick, but I think most people agree there's there's, there's some, some shit out there, yeah, you know. Yeah, there's some shit out there. And you know, I have a lot of compassion for that, but I'm also like really scared. Really scared of what could happen. And I want to like help heal the collective sickness that's out there. Yeah, I don't know what what you prescribe. I I've noticed in my own life returning to my locality Mm. and where my feet are and the community of where my feet are tends to be the quickest way I can get well. You know, when I'm plugged in, getting fed literally the world's, the countries and the world's problems intravenously. (laughs) Dude, uh, seriously, it's nonstop. And I put the phone down Mm. and I look at, oh, who's volunteering to pull the weeds from the Mm. median? You know, because it's not always 
a city worker. Sometimes yeah, yeah. there's just people there. Yeah. There's funny blocks around the corner <laughs> that I see. Like, I think they're just some mom and dad. Yeah. And then when their kids come out and weed this little area, mm-hmm. you know, talk to the, the grocers and getting to know the people of this community. And as I walk down the street, I'm waving to people and saying mm-hmm. hi. And I know my barista's name. Yeah. And uh, trying to take that a step further and try to figure out what matters to the barista, mm. you know, and yeah. no longer see these people as just yeah. avatars and analogs for mm-hmm. getting coffee, but also that in the, in the grocer and in the barista and in the bus driver is a whole life's worth of things that matter to them and mm. their own passions and, and dreams. And I honestly think that just returning to our location this whole interconnected thing ain't working out so hot. Yeah. I mean, we're so obsessed with like going into the clouds, like (laughs) for lack of a better analogy. Right. And like, we really need to just be grounded. Like where, where are we currently and how can we treat hello human? You know, how can we treat another human being as a human being and, um, be interested in their humanity? Um, I always think that like, you think of a domino, like a domino board, right? You push down the domino next to you and there's a domino effect. Next thing you know, all the dominoes have been touched, right? And I think that there's some benefit to, you know, the (laughs) Eckhart Tolls of the world and, you know, folks who have been around a while and um, have great wisdom to share, but how did they start? You know, they probably started in their direct circles, their direct communities. Right. Um, so I'm with you. I think that we have to get to this place of like preaching from a pedestal on the interwebs, but that's not really. Yeah. I'm trying to make like little local hangout groups. Yeah. I think it starts there. I completely agree. And I think coming back to the spaces that you impact around you, right? Like I have my recovery community. I have my spiritual community. Sometimes those are one in the same, you know, I have my work like my day job, I have my friends in my family. Like how can I show up in my fullest authentic expression and humanity and in my love and in my, all those things and practice those principles and those things in like all of the areas of my life that I have touched or can touch, you know? Yeah. Before I ask you the final question, okay, if people want to hang out with you or commune with you or learn more about what you're up to or what you're teaching. Yeah. Where, where can people find you? Yeah. What's the best way to connect with you? Yeah. There's a couple of ways. Email is always really easy. It's indie at authentic discoveries.com. Nice. I N D I. That's a new web address. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just changed it. And that's my email. My Instagram is, I don't, I try not to spend a lot of time on it these days. So yeah. So um, you can check it out. It's just love dot indie. Nice. So yeah, those are the best ways. I hang out in Santa Cruz, California. So if anyone's ever around or wants to connect. Um, is that where you live now? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. In a van? Down by the, <laughs> down by the river? Yeah, you know, that's that whole thing. <laughs> Not yet, but that's my dreams. Down by the river in my van. So yeah, those are a couple ways to connect and probably the most direct ways to get a hold of me. Cool. Yeah. All right. Now for the final question. Okay. I generally do this one way, but I'm actually going to reverse the direction of time. Okay. Normally I have you go back and talk to a previous version of yourself. Mm. I'm going to have you go forward Oof. and talk to a older version of yourself. <laughs> uh, this is going to be like a little time capsule. Okay. So you can. I love this. Yeah. I love that you do this. It's fun. It's super fun. Yeah. And for the people listening, you can do this on your own at home. It's so helpful. I talk to my past self a lot. And, Same. Uh, <laughs> Maybe after this, I'll start talking to my future yeah, self a little bit. Yeah, I love that. But if you could say a prayer or a small sermon or a wish mm. for your future self that you'll one day get to listen to this recording and hear and know mm. that you intended this and wished this and hoped for this for yourself moving forward in the world. Wow. Uh, what what would that that prayer or intention or, or sermon be and you can you can just give it and we'll we'll try to mm. receive it for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's always funny because whenever I'm in a current version of myself looking past at a prior version of myself, I always sort of chuckle 
Um, cause I'm like, Oh, you were so cute. <laughs> I always sort of sit in awe and wonder because, um, there was so much that I didn't know yet. And so I guess for the future version of myself, I, I feel like they're, they're in a time machine, like experiencing other things than I'm experiencing now. And so I think what I believe is that they're trickling bits and pieces of information to me as I'm ready to receive them. And so I think what I want to say is that I'm really grateful for the path forward. And my prayer for them is that I hope that they continue to risk looking like a fool for being fully alive and that they risk looking like a fool for being fully in love with themselves and life and the people around them. And I pray that they continue to be kind and compassionate yet fiercely unapologetic about who they are and what they're available for in the world and with other people that they always come from a place of equanimity and humility, even in the most challenging situations. And that finally they, um, they continue to nest all of the little inner ones that were rejected and abandoned for so long. They continue to nurture all the little parts of them, the little creators, the little afraid ones, the little dancers, all of the, all of the parts of their soul that, that they've continued, I assume to integrate. Um, cause I'm sure that there's a lot more on the horizon than what I've already experienced. So yeah, that's, that's my prayer. <laughs> Beautiful. Thanks. Thank you, Indy. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the how to human podcast. For more of us, you can go to our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash howtohuman. We have exclusive things for the people who help support this program and help it keep going, like an amazing book club where you might meet some dear friends of mine like Sarah. Uh, to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at hellohumans.co and Facebook at hellohumans.co and our website is hellohumans.co. This was recorded at Square One Studio in San Anselmo, California. And if you would like to create a show, record a workshop, record a lecture series, produce some amazing spirit teaching that you want to capture in beautiful 4K, you can give us a ring or contact us. Uh, you can find out more by going to www.square1.studio. That's a real website. You're just going to have to trust me on that. And until next time, I hope you have a great day.